0: Before we dive into today's episode, I want to share an opportunity brought to you by Dr. Jimmy Turner at the Physician Philosopher. This is for all the physicians out there who are trying to find the work life balance, but are overwhelmed by the daily to do list and all their responsibilities as partners, parents, and physicians. The Alpha Coaching Experience is the answer. This 12 week coaching program includes weekly group coaching and one-on-one coaching sessions, plus a course library full of self-coaching tools. It's one of the only programs where doctors coach doctors. So if you're looking to reduce your burnout, and who isn't, improve your satisfaction in life, and who isn't, and create a life you love and deserve, don't wait. Spring enrollment is on sale now. The doors for Alpha Coaching close on February 22nd at midnight, For more information, go to drpodcastnetwork.com slash alpha. That's A-L-P-H-A. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash alpha. No stranger to Turf Wars. So right now in two thousand this is being recorded in 2020, spine surgery is done by both orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons, and everybody mostly seems to get along. That wasn't always the case. Um, decades ago I I practiced as a neuro or I trained as a neurosurgeon. I did a spine surgery fellowship where it was a joint neurosurgery orthopedic program it was one of the first of its kind in the country I thought well god this is great I'll learn from the best of you know everybody's minds I'll be able to learn from orthopedic surgeons I'll be able to learn from neurosurgeons and we'll all be able to sing kubaya this is just awesome what yeah. did I learn well I learned that the orthopedic surgeons thought that I was a trespasser and I thought and the neurosurgeons uh, thought that I was a traitor so yeah. it took almost a generation for everybody to play in the sandbox together. And I think today, um, I think I think most most spine surgeons are comfortable, whether it's orthopedic uh, in origin or surgical in or, origin. And many fellowship programs are actually joint programs. But like any organ in the body, including the skin, where there's money to be made, um, the question always comes down to what's the market look like, and can it be done safely? The argument always is that if you dumb it down uh, quite a bit, then uh, people will be injured. And and certainly, we we can all find examples where uh, people did not have the background, training, and experience to do a particular procedure, and a patient was injured by doing that. But you also see the flip side where people are adequately trained. They've been doing it for a while, and they have the the skill set to do it and it comes down to a question of money they you know the argument is the market's not big enough and uh, because the pie is a fixed size you're taking you're taking my piece of the pie and this turns into a turf war yeah um,
1: i don't That's, have an answer
0: to it it's just an this is just an observation and i'm not making a judgment call on it i'm just saying this is part of human nature and it's been that way in uh, medical care um, as far as anybody can look back and it's probably going to be part and parcel of medical care into the foreseeable future
1: yeah and, and i i think you know i i want to be clear also i'm not making a judgment on it on it either because the, and there's there certainly are many many examples of people who are unqualified to be doing aesthetic services that are doing them I and you type in, you know, med spa injury or whatever. And, and they'll, they come up all the time in, in, in places and there's, you know, unlicensed surgeons doing surgery. So it's, it's not been a mm-hmm. small thing. And, and that, so there's a need for that general kind of standardization and, and, and regulation of the industry for sure. That's why I got into the industry in the first place, but it's, you know, it, it, if patient safety uh was the reason that it was being driven you wouldn't have you know these kind of behind your back reporting to the medical board and 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 these other agendas because it's it's but you know you're saying you
0: would be and it would be visible transparent and open if it's really nothing other than patient safety people would have a billboard and you'd see a name and face attached to it and and examples of what the issue is or what's correct
1: well you would they would you would find that they would you know the you know, a der- and I'm not piling on dermatologists here, but a dermatologist would 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 use their credentials to establish a market advantage for themselves, right? And say, I do this better because I'm a trained doctor. Don't go to untrained people. Um, you know, th- but what it was was I'm going to report you and try to get you in trouble, and then do a chilling effect even on people who maybe weren't doing things wrong. So it's what we're dealing with this, like literally right now, as we speak, trying to get everybody together to, to start talking about aesthetics in a way where we can, we can get some standardization and get some, some basic guidelines so that we can all, you know, operate because my industry, and I know you, you know, this to be true. Like it's, it's big enough for everybody. Like there's uh, there is no shortage of, market need or market share for for everybody to be very very successful. So it's not like we're trying to to fight over pebbles here. I mean, we've all got a lot a lot of money and and patients out there to be to be made and to be had.
0: And and let's be clear, uh, a number of the members of the American Medical Spa Association are surgeons. They are dermatologists, they are plastic surgeons and and so on, meaning that they they're riding the wave just like others who are setting up their own shop. Is that a, is that a fair statement?
1: Yes, that absolutely is. It's 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 mostly physicians are are in our 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 membership. Um, what's driving the growth of the industry is um, again what we call non-core physicians, which I don't like that word, but it's a term that's been that's been developed. But the core physicians being you know plastics facial plastics oculoplastics and then cosmetic dermatologists meaning those
0: who um, have formal training in their programs and would be the natural beneficiaries of the aesthetic space
1: right because there is no there is no board certification for aesthetics right so for for non surgical aesthetics so right. any doctor can do it if they're trained um, and experienced and what we've seen is I, for a lot of reasons, you know, managed care, um, just the way that that, that that healthcare operates is that a lot of these doctors, these family practice doctors and ER doctors want to expand and have their own brand and have their own practice and, and be able to, you know, to operate in, in, in a way that, that is fulfilling. And they go to aesthetics because the, the opportunity is there and they have been overwhelmingly driving the growth of the market. Um, way, in a way faster and more productive way than the, than the derms and the plastics have in the past. And, and so now you've got these non-core doctors and the core doctors who are together. <laughs> and you've got coming up the RNs and the nurse APRNs and PAs who are also doing this stuff. You've got all these different groups that are, that are there and trying to figure out how to coexist
0: and i would imagine that one of the biggest challenges if you're an er doctor for example going into aesthetics that you have sufficient volume to get good at it because i think one of the the biggest problems would be being a dabbler meaning that you have your day job and then oh by the way you know you'll do a few of these injections i think those can be potentially the most dangerous individuals doesn't mean they they're not forbidden by the law from doing it i just think as a matter of good judgment if you're in, you're in. You know, Go ahead and embrace and, and it fully um, and, and get really good at it uh, yeah. so you can deliver great outcomes. And to the extent you run into problems, you know how to solve them. But I, I ha- I've definitely seen in my experience, those who dabble, who don't do enough to get good at, and I'm not just speaking about aesthetics, I'm really talking about almost any type of uh, invasive procedure and, and even the non-invasive procedures. The more you do, the better you're gonna get at it. Um, yeah. And I do see the attraction that um, there are a lot of people tired of managed care. They're tired of declining reimbursement from third-party insurers. They're tired of you know taking orders from the man out there and want to be their own boss. They've seen a giant industry becoming even bigger, and they don't want to be left out. But then the question is, how does an individual like that get training and experience? How do they – I mean, I'm always – most fascinated by job openings which say i you need 15 years of experience Well, how yeah. does anyone ever get 15 years of experience except by getting 15 years of experience am i missing something here no
1: uh, it's i mean that's true in every industry right you know, how do you get experience without working it's it's a big it's a big issue in aesthetics because th- there's no standardization Um, there's, there's no board certification. There's no groups out there that say, okay, this is the standard by which people should be trained. Um, instead you've got, you know, the free market and capitalism where you've got trainers who are training and they're, they're, they're qualified at what they do, but there's no curriculum. So there's, you know, you can go to a weekend course and learn how to do it. And I think, And I'm not a doctor, so this may resonate more with you, Jeff, than than it does with me. But the the other thing that I I see as a layperson is that the 98% of the treatments are fairly straightforward and easy to do, meaning that you can teach Mm -hmm. somebody to do it, that you could teach me to do it. I could fire a laser. I could probably give a basic injection after with some practice. And I think people get a false sense of security that it's it's not that difficult and therefore you don't need that much training. Um, but we know that there are very, very serious complications that can arise and, you know, blindness, you know, bad infections, um, all sorts of things. And so I think part of that has to do with the fact that it just it looks easy. It looks
0: Easy to decepti- Yeah, it, it's de- yeah. it looks deceptively easy. I mean, getting really good at the art of it does require time, experience, judgment. But you're right. If you if a complication is infrequent, you yeah. come to the conclusion, well, it probably will never happen. But some of these complications are horrific. I still remember. I believe this came out of North Carolina, where they. Placed um, local anesthetic, some type of topical local anesthetic, on a patient getting laser, laser hair removal. In I think it was in North Carolina, and mm-hmm. she ended up getting too much, too much lidocaine. got absorbed. She ended up having uh, lidocaine toxicity, had seizures. I don't, I don't know if she died or had brain injury, but th- but this was horrific. I mean, think about that. You're just going in there to get some hair removal and you end up in the ICU or in a morgue. I mean, this is a shocking outcome. And and while blindness from an embolism related to uh, collagen filler is infrequent, I do get these telephone calls. These calls come to medical justice and they, they are shocking. They're shocking to the doctor because I've never experienced previously. Now, because it's an infrequent occurrence, um, you know they don't spend a lot of time having the informed consent with a patient but the the best way to do it would be to say look it's infrequent but this can be bad i'm educating you so if it does happen you can call me immediately instead of scratching your head because time is of the essence there are things that can be done potentially to limit the impact of an embolism whether it's causing a stroke blindness or even your lip sloughing off There are things that can be done, but if you're not aware of this while this is going on and you come to me a day later, um, our hands are tied. There won't be much we can do. And I I do think that's part of the benefit of having extra training. So however one gets that training, even if it's um, through various external courses, uh, part of the training should include not just how to do it, but these are the horrific bad complications that are infrequent, but be prepared. It's like learning you know CPR. You hope never to need it to need yes. to use it. but if something happens, it's great to have a um, defibrillator on the wall waiting for you and some education on how to keep someone alive till uh, till 911 uh, gets delivered.
1: And I think what I think what is, and again, not being a medical professional, um, I, I wanna be a little careful with what I say here, but I, I, from what I've talked to with with experts in the field, what's frustrating is that a lot of the, the complications and side effects that are severe can be prevented or treated if you know what to look for and how to treat it, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the 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 embolisms from filler and things like that, if you know what to look for and you know what the symptoms are, there are reversal agents, and there's, way to, there's ways to fix it if if you're prepared. And so a lot, I think, what people, and then some of these are maybe are, are are not not true, and they just happen anyway. But I think what part of the the concern is from from some of the the more experienced physicians is that you know these are unnecessary injuries that occur that hurt everybody simply because of a lack of training and standardization.
0: Well, to give this color, yeah, we got a call from a plastic surgeon a couple of weeks ago. He performed a procedure, did a standard lip injection, and the patient ended up getting an embolus from it. Why? It's a blind procedure. You're not you don't know what you're injecting into. and and it's not dissimilar to sticking a small tube into the ventricles of the brain. It's a blind procedure. I was always shocked by how infrequently there were any complications associated with it because precisely it was, blind procedure but in this particular case he recognized the problem immediately he knew exactly what was going on Uh, he saw the blanching and said oops we houston we got a problem here and he was able to put in a reversal agent um i think he he referred the patient to a hyperbaric chamber whatever it is that is done for this i I wouldn't claim to be an expert uh, on this but you know several weeks later she got a great outcome and yeah. got a great outcome because he recognized the problem uh, very quickly and was able to take definitive action. And so in his toolkit, you know, I don't I don't know that he'd ever seen it before. He probably did, but certainly there was the first time he ever saw it. And having the background and experience in terms of managing that was only was helpful to him and I think the big what you're describing is if you don't even know what you don't know, that's can be a challenge so it's not just a matter of making sure you you know you stay in your lane as it relates to scope of practice but it's just get enough training so that you you learn how to get great outcomes so that's you know Mm -hmm. one side of the balance but the flip side is you know how to prevent and manage complications and there there are no healthcare professionals that never get a complication anyone who says they've never had a complication either is um doesn't do anything, meaning that they they, they don't do any procedures um, or they have never looked right? Uh, or, they're, or they're liars. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the universe uh, of people who say they never get complications.
1: Yeah. And that's the, I mean, that's the, the kind of world that, that, that we're swimming in, in in aesthetics is that you've, you know, the complications are very rare and, you know, 99% of the time the outcomes are great and people love it and it's easy and fast and a good experience and it's just when you when you have that and then you have on top of that the fact that it's cash pay people are paying you know that this is not insurance based it's all mm-hmm. you know desire it's the marketplace you know people are making a lot of money i can i, I can see how we've gotten to where we've gotten it's just we've got to untangle this a little bit because um i mean the jeff the the passion Which is a, you know, definitely a a euphemistic term (laughs) Um, um, out there. When we bring up these exact issues to folks like estheticians who are not medically trained, a lot of them in the state of Texas are are doing these injections themselves, and they have um, oftentimes no idea that these things can happen. And you know, just me saying you are doing a medical treatment oftentimes gets me in trouble with people. They say, "What do you mean? This is not. We're not practicing medicine. We're not curing anything. We're doing wrinkles. It's not medicine. It's aesthetics. It's different. Eh, it's not, not really." So it's a, it's, it's there's a lot of things that are hurdles we're gonna have to get over to get through this. But, um, but it's fun. All it, take,
0: all it takes is seeing one picture of what a um, serious embolism looks like, where um, the entire arterial structure for half of your face is now missing and there's a big hole there, you get a pretty good idea that that's a medical procedure. I mean, that's certainly not the most common risk of a um, aesthetic procedure. I would argue that the most common risk, if you will, is the patient not getting their expected outcome. And part of that comes down to patient uh, expectations and patient selection, making sure that you have in your toolkit what you can do for a particular uh, patient. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people show up with pictures of what they intend to look like, but um, it's, it's a, uh, it's a scalpel, not a wand is what what we typically say. You can only do so much, you know, with the clay that you're given to create a particular sculpture.
1: Right. And it's, it's, that's, that's the issue is that you're dealing with people's, faces you know their appearance mm-hmm. and if you screw that up they're gonna know and they're not gonna be happy and you know the, there's been some really bad outcomes where it's just and it's just from a lack of experience and not knowing what to do and not having the proper training you've had some folks just get very disfigured um and that's just you know that's that's a that's tough that, that, that that's tough and, and it's it's preventable and unfortunately so my whole spiel that i give to folks is that you know a rising tide lifts all boats so if we can if we can get if we can self-regulate at least a little bit and make sure that we're avoiding those bad outcomes or at least when those bad outcomes occur it's very evident as to what happened and and those people get in trouble and and they're not doing things legally because a lot of times bad outcomes you know there's not really there hasn't been like a, a good example of this is the, the medical board doesn't have jurisdiction over um, somebody who's not a medical doctor and screws up a procedure. They then I mean, you can be you can be prosecuted, right? You can be prosecuted by the attorney general for the unauthorized right. practice of medicine, but the medical board can't take away someone's license who's not a doctor. And so sometimes you have these people who are acting with somewhat impunity. I mean, it's it's not common, but it happens.
0: And they can turn it over. So the medical board would just say, we've received a complaint, someone acting like a doctor, they'll turn right. it over to the attorney general and argue that this person was practicing medicine right. without a license. And, and that does happen. I do see, but it yes. typically happens in egregious cases. Let's go back to that case in Texas where people were led away in handcuffs. Um, and your estimation was it, it was a perceived turf war because these are all complaint driven for the most part. I mean, it's not, I don't think, I don't think you have the police force hanging out, um, you know, on websites saying, you know, this week's this week, our job is to identify 15 people and we're going after them just to collect our quota of, uh, of scalps here.
1: No, we we um, we all say that there's. Three to four ways you're going to get caught. One is an ex-employee, so if you you know, fire an employee and they leave, um, a dissatisfied patient, which is, which is always um, a possibility, a competitor, which we're seeing more and more reporting you, or an ex-husband, because ex-husbands tend to have <laughs> – <laughs> and it's always ex-husbands, too. It's not ex-wives. It's ex-husbands.
0: <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? I would not have guessed that. I've always had my list of three, but I'm going to add that fourth one in there, too.
1: But there's no uh, other than that, like, like, but, but what, and this is kind of the, 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 the irony to it all is when I talk to to people about this, I say, you know, what do you, you know, here's the chances of you getting caught. And they'll say, well, no one gets caught. No one's going to get caught. The chances of me getting caught are slim to none. I'm just going to do it. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, what's your goal? Do you want to build your, your business? Oh yeah. I want to be a multi-state brand. I want to be a bill. <laughs> Business. like, Well, the bigger you get, the more likely you are to be reported because people get jealous and they and, and all that. So, you know, it's 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 a problem. But we're we'll it, it, it the, the, these types of things have a way of, of working. Out. And what, what my my concern for the industry has always been if we don't work it out ourself, um, someone's going to work it out for us. And we're not mm-hmm. necessarily going to like the answers that they come up with
0: so you want to be at the table not on the table is that right
1: yeah. <laughs> that's right at the table and not and we're not under the table
0: <laughs> yeah well we don't have a lot of time left I, there are a couple of questions that i do want to ask because these are questions that have come across my desk and now that you're here i want to pick your brain on that yeah. um i know that many maybe all medical spas need a medical director do all do all med, med spas need a medical director is that accurate
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, th- the way you have to think about it is you're providing a medical treatment. So you're you're regulated in the same way as any doctor's office. Okay. So you have to have a medical director. There has to be a physician who is in charge of protocols, medical decision making. Now, there's exceptions with APRNs and PAs, um, but but mm-hmm. you do need a medical director. Yes.
0: So, I mean, if you can practice independently, you don't necessarily need a physician medical director. But that comes down to what the law states in that particular um the law states in that state Um, and the my assumption would be that the medical director needs to at least know something about the subject matter is that a fair statement so i mean we get calls from a gastroenterologist saying hey look you know someone's setting up shop in town and they say i don't have to do anything except maybe sign some charts at the end of the month and it's not a lot of money, but, it, you know, look, anything adds to the bottom line right here. But I do have my day job. And honestly, I'm not going to be pried away from colonoscopy, yeah. um, endoscopies. Uh, that's that's my core living. But what do you think? And weigh
1: exactly. in on that. <laughs> you, you th- There's two <laughs> things. I would say. you can't you to be a medical director. Remember, you can't be an absentee landlord. So you can't just you, you the, the medical boards hate when these doctors lease out their license, right? So mm-hmm. provide their license for a monthly fee. Um, that That's a big no-no. Uh, but especially when it's coupled with a lack of expertise. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to medical directors who look at me sideways and say, wait a minute, I have to know how to do the procedures that I'm in charge of. <laughs> uh, yes, you do. That's part of the deal. You gotta know how to do it. Um, and that's, you know, it's a disconnect. It's a, it's a, it's a disconnect. And th- these are doctors. These are not, you know, these are smart people who, you know, oftentimes well-known, famous doctors, right, who who have been practicing and have been very successful. And nine times out of 10, they're doing things completely illegal, unknowingly. And you, you tell them that and they just, they're just like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, here's the law. Take a look. You <laughs> be you know, judge. Yeah, judge. Um,
0: Here's my final question. Someone thinking about getting into the med spa business, what advice would you give them? Would you tell them to go into it? Number one. And then number two, um, what general principles would you have them follow?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, so yes, I, I, I love the, it's a great industry to be in. And it's one of the few medical industries where you can really control your and build your own brand, you know, like where you can really, be an entrepreneur. And, and, you know, with managed care that those types of businesses are are are, are falling. Um, so, yes, but it's also a very different business. And, and the big piece of advice I always give folks who want to get into it is that you need to be committed. You can't mm-hmm. do one foot in and one foot out. Um, you, you've got to and you can't treat it like a normal physician's practice because we're, we deal with retail medicine, right? This is, you know, normal market factors drive whether or not you're successful. So it's not like someone gets a broken arm and they have to go get it fixed or whatever it is, they have a pain in their side and they go to, you know, go to a GI doctor. It's, I want something and I'm willing to pay for it. And there's competition based upon who does a better job and who's cheaper and all that kind of stuff. So you really have to be a business person first. You have to know the business, you have to know your numbers. You can't just assume you're gonna do well in this business. There is a graveyard littered with, with people who have lost their asses in this business because they thought it would be easy. And usually they're plastic surgeons and derms who are already familiar with the type of medicine, they just don't treat it as its own business. So it's you have to really take your time and learn the business, learn the treatments and get experience.
0: At the end of one year, how many med spas are still alive? I mean, it's like in in any entrepreneurial effort, they always say if you make it past your first year, you're likely to survive, indeed, even thrive. But the first year is always the toughest one. And you've described this as a business. So what can what can people expect going into this? If you go into it today, a year from now, what percent will still be alive?
1: It's, I mean, the it's, it's very it tracks very similar similarly to normal business. So, you know, eighty percent of small businesses go under within a year or two, right? I mean, that's just and that's the same way with med spas. Um, most most people spend their way out of existence in the first six months with med spas, it, because unlike, um, you know, there's no insurance, right? So you're not getting you're not getting <coughs> Payments and the equipment that you have to buy. Some of these aesthetic lasers that people want are hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the capital outlay is huge, um, but it's 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 well above 80% go out of business in the first within the first three years.
0: And that's extremely humbling, but no surprise. I think the the corollary is also true, which is if you if you do make it after a year, you're likely to do quite well because you've figured out that secret sauce to deliver great service yep. to a, um, a marketplace that it, it has a lot of demand.
1: Well, and so, you know, the average med spa brings in a million and a half in revenue at 20 to 30 percent margins. So you just do the math on that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a decent living. And um, there are many that are doing far better than that, that are doing five, six, ten million dollars. So that's that's a lot of money for for people. Um, so the, the, there's definitely cash there to be made. And it's a great industry, too. You actually get to help people, make them feel better. And um, you just got to be careful. You got to know what you're doing.
0: Alex, any final thoughts uh, and also tell people how they can get in touch with you. Contact information.
1: Yeah. yeah. If I mean, if any of the, any, any of you folks listening are interested in the industry, w- we're a great place to start because our whole basis is helping you learn the law and learn the business. So we're at americanmedspa.org, americanmedspa.org. Just go to the website. There's tons of resources. We do um, lots of events. We have our, our big national event every year, the Medical Spa Show in Vegas. It's going to be in May this year at the Wynn. And I'm going to put in a
0: plug for that. I've been to one of these before. It is a Lollapalooza. It's a great uh, event. And it's, it's also grown year after year.
1: It's it's taken on a life of its own as the industry has grown. But we focus on on the business, right? That's what we're all about is how do you run the business. And we also do business boot camps and stuff like that. So just come to AmericanMetspa.org. We'd love to we'd love to have you.
0: Alex, time has gone by quickly. I can't thank you enough for joining us and I hope to have you back on again.
1: Anytime, man. Anytime. I appreciate it, Jeff.
0: All right. Thanks everyone. Until we meet again, this is Jeff Siegel at the Medical Liability Minute. Thank you. Before we close, a brief reminder. Today's sponsor is the Alpha Coaching Experience. Act now to claim your spot in the spring enrollment before the doors close on February 22nd at midnight. There's no better time than now to make the change. You know you deserve to be a better partner, parent, and physician. Enroll today at drpodcastnetwork.com alpha. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash alpha. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MED-JUST. That's 1-877-MED-JUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N-F-O-N-E-W-S at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.